I want to speak to you today from the Word of God on the subject of anger. So let's pray to the Lord together, and we'll take a brief moment of silence where you can pray, you can pray for me, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Lord, help us during this time as we think about this subject from your word. We look in the Bible, which is a mirror, and we can only there see ourselves truly. So help us to see ourselves truly and accurately as we look into the mirror of your word. Lord, we pray that we would see you, our great God, may we see Christ, and may we see the response that you call for us to have, Lord, would you work in us this morning even to grant faith and repentance. We thank you that you are the loving God who is in control, even as we noticed last week at the golden chain in Romans 8. We thank you that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are destined for glory in the midst of suffering here and now. So again, Lord, Father, we pause. Help us. Open our eyes. Even now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You shall not murder. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And those who murder will be liable to judgments. Christopher Ash and Steve Midgley have a really uh, excellent book that in uh, just personal testimony, it's just a joy to read. The book is called The Heart of Anger. And one of the interesting things that Ash and Midgley point out in their book entitled The Heart of Anger, and they're not, by the way, they're not uh, secular psychoanalysts or something like that. These are very faithful uh, pastors and Bible teachers who said that really when we think about anger in terms of the Bible, really it comes down to four categories. I thought this was really helpful. When you think about anger, it comes down to categories of control, possessions, sex, and reputation. So they talk about how there are, there are these things, these four things in particular, that we treasure. The things that we treasure in life are the things that can also be uh, triggers for our anger. So we might very well, in fact, I think it's safe to say that all of us, to some degree, we treasure control, they point out. We treasure control. And when our desire for control over our lives is threatened, well, then that can be a trigger for anger. The example that they give is that of a, uh, an angry parent with a toddler who simply refuses to eat. So anger and control, that's one category. Another category, as I've already said, that they give is, is possessions. We, 
we desire possessions and when we are when we are frustrated in our desire for things for material things for possessions when we treasure our possessions in an inordinate way that too can be a trigger for anger the example that they give in that instance is again of a toddler in the checkout line at the grocery store who cannot fathom not getting the toy that's right there in the checkout line. Or not even a toddler, but a middle-aged executive who is actually becomes livid that his new laptop wasn't delivered on time. So there's these four categories of control, and it's, and it's actually uncanny when you think about how these actually do. These are the main four categories for anger in, in our lives, for human anger, control, uh, possessions, uh, sexual intimacy, and delight. This is also something that we as human beings treasure, both men and women treasure that. And when it is frustrated, when we, uh, when we feel a threat to that, then it is a trigger, do you see? It's a trigger to anger. They give an example of this. The example given is a romantic dinner for two where two quite different visions of how the night would end exist even during the dinner time. And so you have control, you have possessions, you have sex, and then you have reputation. Reputation, which would be a wounded pride. Wounded pride. The example of this would be you get a, a, a review at work, and it's just a so-so review. Because we want people in the world, we all want people to have the same view of us that we have of us. I'm pretty good. So, so is there a problem here that you can't see that? Or another example of this fourth category, remember, is reputation or wounded pride would be unappreciative dinner guests or a social cold shoulder. Well, maybe we'll keep those things in mind. The things that we treasure in life, things like control and possessions and sex and reputation, these can also be the very things that trigger our anger. I want us to see uh, Proverbs and anger this morning. That's number one, Proverbs and anger. And then number two is Jesus and anger. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, Proverbs and anger, number one. Number two, Jesus and anger. And in between those two, in between those two, I want to give just a couple of uh, illustrations from the Bible, examples, illustrations from the Bible of anger in living color, okay? Number one, Proverbs and anger. Turn with me to Proverbs 15, 18. Look with me, Proverbs 15, 18. Verse 18 of Proverbs 15 says this. Hear the word of the Lord. This is God's word. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife. By the way, there are certainly some who are more prone 
to being this hot-tempered man, whether you be male or female, more so than others. But this is a sermon for all of us. The question for you and for, for me this morning is not, are you angry? But the question for us in our lives is, why are we angry? Why are you angry? A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Notice the obvious contrast there. In the second part of the verse, we get the positive, right? He who is slow to anger quiets contention. The Bible does not have good things to say about one who is given to anger. The Bible just doesn't have good things to say about one who is given to anger. A, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. As I have uh, looked at the book of Proverbs, not in any type of exhaustive way, but as I have looked at the book of Proverbs, specifically at Proverbs and anger, I, I noted a few things. Let me, let me just point out right here just four or five things under this heading of Proverbs and anger uh, that I noticed that we need to just ultimately, of course, test by the word of God. Here's some things that I noticed, Proverbs and anger. Okay, one is what I've already said. The Bible does not have good things to say about one who is given to anger. To be hot-tempered and act in angry ways is folly. To be hot-tempered and act in angry ways is folly. Here's a second thing that I noted and that we see from Proverbs. Those who occupy the highest positions of leadership are deadly if angry. Think about a, uh, think about a president. Think about a king. Those who occupy the highest positions of leadership, you don't want to play with their anger if they are angry, okay? A president, a king, those in the highest positions of leadership, their anger can be deadly. Here's a third thing that we, uh, that we see from Proverbs. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, never make an angry woman your wife. You may know the, the old, old song, and I won't go into that old song from the, from the oldies, but I think we see this. If you want to be happy for the rest of your life, Never make an angry woman your wife. To be hot-tempered and act in angry ways is folly. Okay? Those who occupy the highest positions of leadership can especially, their, their anger can especially be deadly. Watch out for an angry woman. And, and truly, if, if it is a real persistent issue, don't, don't marry her. Uh, number four, the wise person seems able to lower the temperature of the angry man. There seems to be something that Proverbs says, and we're going we're gonna to rapid fire look at a few verses here in just a minute from Proverbs. But the wise person seems to be able to lower the temperature of the angry man. None of us are perfect. All of this, this whole message, as I've said, on anger from the Bible is like a mirror that shows all of us to one degree or another that the question is not, are you angry, but why are you angry? And are you right to be angry? The wise person still may struggle with anger, but he has a way, she has a way of turning the temperature down on the person who is just livid and bringing some peace. And then finally, 
Anger leads to sin. The person given to anger causes much transgression. The person given to anger causes much transgression. Are there exceptions to this? To this anger leads to sin? Yes. But we're not talking about that right now. The person given to anger causes much transgression. All right, let's very quickly look. 1614. Go with me here. 1614. A king's wrath is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. Don't play with that anger of a high official, of a high leader. Proverbs 16, 14. Proverbs chapter 19. Look there with me. Proverbs 19. I do love the book of Proverbs. Read the book of Proverbs and pray for wisdom like Solomon prayed. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. See that? How about verse 12? A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. How about Proverbs 19.19? A man of great wrath will pay the penalty. For if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Proverbs is so great. You know, Proverbs can say stuff like, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. But then it immediately says, don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you basically get into folly with him. And this is the thing. The the, the non-angry person, the peacemaking man, the man who is slow to anger... Uh, he, can, he can turn the temperature down on the man whose face is red. But you got to be careful because you might just have to keep doing it. Right? Proverbs 19, 19. Proverbs chapter 21. Look there with me, 21, 19. Now, I have to say for this verse and for maybe other passages in the sermon, please know that just because some place in the Bible doesn't use the word anger does not mean that the idea that anger is not present. Because when you study these passages, may or may not have the word anger, but the, the presence of anger is there. 2119, it is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Proverbs 27, 3 through 4. Proverbs 27, verse 3. A stone is heavy, And sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Notice the fool. You know, the Bible can can say fool. The Bible can call somebody a fool. God can call somebody a fool. And that's what Proverbs is. Proverbs talks about the way of the fool and the way of the wise. Notice the fool in verse 3, and of course, notice in verse 4 that anger is overwhelming. And then finally, Proverbs 29, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 8. And although I do not say that this is a one-to-one correlation, have we actually not seen this in our country with some of our cities aflame uh, last year? Proverbs 29, 8, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise... And again, here's the positive. 
the wise turn away wrath. Verse 22, Proverbs 29, 22. A man of wrath stirs up strife. You've got a problem, the Bible says, if you are a man given to anger, but your sin spills out to so many ways that you don't even know. And one given to anger causes much transgression. It says there in Proverbs 29, 22. Well, let's sum up this first heading of Proverbs and anger. Proverbs and anger. We've looked at various passages. I've given you four or five. Here's how uh, Longman sums it up. Listen to what he says. The wise person is cool-headed. The fool is an impetuous hothead. The wise person is cool-headed. The fool is an impetuous hothead. It is not that the wise are emotionless or that they don't express anger or disappointment but they do so in a way that is appropriate to the context. They don't blow up in anger, though they may get angry. And then listen to what he says. One more sentence from Longman here. Listen to this. Anger destroys family and community relationships. Anger, listen to me, destroys family and community relationships. That's really important. Anger destroys a community. Anger destroys the community of the people of God. And the community of the people of God begins with that first most basic unit, which is the family. And anger wreaks havoc in that most basic unit, just as it does in the larger unit. Well, we've seen, first of all, uh, Proverbs and anger. We need to see uh, Jesus and anger. But before we do that, we just want to quickly look at a few living color uh, illustrations of anger in the Bible. We could talk about illustrations from everyday life, but illustrations are wonderful from Scripture. The first one is this. The first one, and and right here in Proverbs, is the man who finds out another man has been with his wife. This is the first uh, living, breathing Bible illustration of anger. The man who finds out that another man has been with his wife. Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs 6.32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Proverbs 6.33. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away except by the blood of Jesus Christ. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply his gifts. This is the first living color. I know it's not a narrative. I know it's not a story. It's Proverbs 6, 32 through 35. This is the man who finds out that another man has been with his wife. Hey, man, I'm sorry. Let me give you $100. Let me give you $100,000. Put your money away, and let's go outside, because I want to kill you. Look at what it says again. Jealousy makes a man furious, furious, and he will not spare until he takes his revenge. That's one living color example of anger in the Bible. The second would be, boys and girls, do you know the story of the talking donkey? You know that story? Thank you. I heard some of you say, yes, you did. It's the story of the talking donkey. It's, it involves a man who was a, um, 
we might call a pagan prophet. I'll just be very quick here. Some of you know the story. In the old King James, it's the story of Balaam and his ass. Balaam's ass. Balaam's talking donkey, right? And it's, it's a wonderful story. And remember those four categories, right? Actually, according to the Bible, when you look at anger in the Bible, you see it's tied to what we treasure. As Christopher Ash points out, we, we like to have a, a good degree of control in our lives. And when that gets threatened, anger is close at hand. We, we like to have control over our possessions. And when that gets threatened, it can easily be a trigger for anger. We like to have our own ideas about sexual intimacy and sexual delight. And when that is frustrated, then it triggers anger. And then certainly that fourth category, reputation or wounded pride. This story that you find in, in Numbers chapter 22, in Numbers, you don't have to turn there, just... You don't have to, at this time, I'm going to have you turn to one more passage in a minute. But you find Balaam and his, his arrogant pretension. It's, it's hilarious. In Numbers chapter 22, verse 21, So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger, oh, oh, wait a minute here. God's anger. I know I stop sometimes when we're reading and it may drive you crazy. I'm sorry if it does. But God's anger. Did you know that one half to two thirds of the biblical references to anger are not to us? They are to God. It has been pointed out that one of the main problems, if not the main problem with secular, and I don't dismiss all of this, with secular approaches to anger management is that there is no space made for the anger of God. The anger of God is not a bad thing. It is a biblical thing, and therefore it is a good thing and something we need. But God's anger was kindled because he went. This, this dude named Balaam wasn't supposed to go, right? And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. That's, that's important. His two servants were with him. Man, none of us likes to be embarrassed in front of other people. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. There, there, good donkey. No, that's not what he's doing. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, this is the climax, right? This is the end of the story. She lay down under Balaam and Balaam's anger was kindled. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? In other words, why are you so angry? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. There's so much that could be said here. 
I mean, just the very last thing that Balaam says, listen, because this is the heart of anger. The heart of anger is that in that moment or in those days of anger, we make ourselves to be God. That's the heart of anger. I'm God. I know everything. This should not be happening to me. Why is this happening to me? What's wrong with you? You are in my way. The heart of anger is that many times, if you did have a sword in your hand, literally, thank God we don't, right? Because what Balaam says here is, if I had a sword, I would slay you right here. And what the donkey said was, hey, why are you so angry? You read on in verse 30, by the way, the donkey speaks to, again to him and he says, hey, haven't I been your faithful donkey your whole life? Like I've I've never done this before, so don't you think this is unusual? That's kind of what he says. Why was Balaam so angry? Well, of course, don't forget that the text says he was angry, furious. Why? Why? Because you made a fool of me. You made a fool of me. My reputation, my wounded pride, Proverbs and anger. Jesus and anger. Turn with me to our last passage that I'll ask you to turn to, which is Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus and anger. Would you look with me at verse 21? Matthew 5, 21, Jesus says, Hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Verse 25 of Matthew 5. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I, Jesus, say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. James chapter 1, I want you to listen to this. James 1, 19. Know this, know this, my beloved brothers, my beloved brothers, know this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, you may just want to mark that down. That's James 1, 19 and 20. James 1, 19 and 20. Now, you don't, don't answer out loud, but who is James? Who is James? He's, he's the brother of the Lord, right? 
He's the brother of the Lord. Where did James get this stuff? Please hear it again. May God help all of us, certainly myself included. Let us be slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Where, where, where did the brother of the Lord get this stuff? Well, he, well, he got it from Jesus, right? He got it from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus says, look with me again at Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Well, let's get a running start again. Verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And then take special note. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, this is talking about personal animosity. This is talking about anger within the community. You hear me? Personal animosity, anger within the community. I'm, I'm saying to you that everyone who is angry, okay, murder, but I'm saying angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You heard it said that murderers, premeditated murder, not talking about manslaughter, right? Premeditated murder you will be liable to judgment, the Old Testament says plainly. Jesus says, without any qualifications at all, on purpose, with no qualifications. He's just talking about anger unqualified. Just anger, no, no qualifications. You will be liable to judgment. Brothers and sisters, this condemns all of us. If we are honest, there is a very real sense in which we are all condemned. Who can, who can stand before these words? Who can say, who can say except for the non-Christian? Who can say, I, I'm better than the murderer? If you are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, then this passage teaches us to see and to say, I have been guilty of murder and therefore are of anger, excuse me, and therefore according to Jesus, I am not somehow on this high pedestal and the murderer is down here such that I can look down on him, you dirty murderer. No, no, no. But you know what the emphasis here is not even as much on anger or judgment, but as I say to you, Jesus is greater than Moses, but not only is he greater than Moses, he is our Lord and God. He says, I say to you, who has authority to do this with God's law? Who has authority to do that? God incarnate. I say to you, here's the deal. You and I have not obeyed the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments. What's the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments? You shall not murder. We are not okay with that commandment if there simply has been no bloodshed. This is what this is the deal. The sixth commandment is not to be thought of as obeyed merely because there's no bloodshed on the ground. Because Jesus clearly says murder, and he draws the line to anger. Judgment. And he draws the line to judgments. Anger, if it is able to be fulfilled, would so often lead to murder. And murder is fueled by anger. You know, one word that really holds all of this together as you think about murder and anger is the word hatred. Is the word hatred. Listen to 1 John 3.15 
1 John 3.15, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. We're talking about brothers, right? The constant repetition of brother. We're talking about the community. We're talking about the family. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. The way of wisdom, according to Proverbs, dear friends, the way of wisdom, Proverbs, is not the way of the man given to anger. No, the way of wisdom, according to Proverbs, is the peacemaker. The peacemaking man is the man who is slow to anger. The way of wisdom, Proverbs, not the hot-tempered man. Jesus Christ is our wisdom. He is our wisdom. Jesus teaches us here about anger. Jesus was angry. Jesus died and bore the wrath of God in our place. Let me say it again. I think correctly understood, verse 22 of Matthew chapter 5, first of all, levels all of us. It levels us. This is a message for disciples. It is a message for disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit that we can obey. But before we obey by the power of the Spirit, this condemns us. And so we are grateful that the man who spoke the Sermon on the Mount, the God-man also died for those to whom he spoke. That he didn't give us Matthew 5. Matthew 5 through 7 is awesome. And, and liberal Christians say this is the essence of Christianity. Just follow Matthew 5. Matthew 5 through 7 is great. But it's not great if Jesus didn't die for us and rise from the dead. And he did die and rise from the dead for everyone who will repent of their sin and trust in him. He did die and rise from the dead for everyone who will repent of their sin and trust in him. Give me a few minutes as I bring this to a close. Proverbs in anger, Jesus in anger. Bear with me as you already have. Rico Tice is a funny man. He said this. He said, I'm a Bible teacher. I simply cannot afford to be losing my temper. I've got to control it. So I have a process that I work through, and he talks about the process that he works through as a Bible teacher, as a man who's kind of given to anger to control his anger. I'll be talking with someone, and they say something, and I sense the feeling rising in me, and I need to think to myself, I'm feeling angry here. The feeling is rising. Right now, I want to take this person outside and sort this out man to man. That's what I'm thinking as I'm smiling at them, he says. And if I don't acknowledge the feeling, I won't be in a position to control it. The Bible does talk a lot about human anger. It does. But as I said, more than half, up to two-thirds of the biblical reference to anger are about the anger of God. Jonathan Edwards wasn't far off at all when he preached the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. You, you need to think about your anger this morning. I need to think about anger the question for all of us, whether we are prone to anger or not as much, the question for all of us is not, are you angry? But the biblical questions are, why are you angry? And do you have a right to be angry? Jesus, in an unqualified way, condemns anger. Is there no righteous anger? Is there no such thing as righteous anger for us in this life? There is. Jesus, of course, is the number one example we need to be careful. We need to be careful of saying there is plenty of righteous anger among humans. 
There is righteous anger among God's people. We see that in the Bible, but it is probably so stinking rare. It is probably so rare. And so we praise God that in his self-revelation in Exodus 34, that he is a God who is what? He is compassionate and slow to anger. Have you considered your own anger? Have you considered what that says about your heart? Have you considered the anger of God? Have you considered the anger of God? God is an angry God. Did you know that? Where do we see the anger of God? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the perfect God-man. Who appeased the wrath of God? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and pray, and I'll leave you with this verse before I pray. With our heads bowed, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 says this. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So, Lord God, we thank you for 1 Peter 2.23. Thank you that unlike us, when Jesus was wrongfully mocked and insulted and terribly mistreated, that he did not revile in return. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Thank you, O God, for your attributes. Thank you, Lord God, that for your anger. Lord, you are truly a loving God because you hate evil. May we be like you. May we run to Christ. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that our Lord Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God in our place. Free us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, through the cross. Thank you for the words of Jesus, these sober words. Bless this community, and may it be a community, a church of unity, not of gossip, not of uncontrolled anger, but may we confess our sins one to another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.